If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Medicine in America, hosted by Anthony Manson and Todd Harrington, shares the stories of physicians, other healthcare professionals, and industry leaders who are changing the way we deliver care. There's an episode that you should check out called Primary Care Reimagined with Subscription-Based Preventative Care Model. It's an inspiring call for a paradigm shift in primary care. All of their episodes highlight innovative ideas at the forefront of the movement to transform our healthcare system. Check out Medicine in America on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to Highway to Health. I'm Jeremy Quinby. How are you, my friends? Thanks for tuning in. I've got Sue Hitzman on the show today, the founder of Melt Method. She is a wealth of knowledge and has a new book out on self-care for performance. She'll be up in just a moment. This is episode 87 of the podcast. If you're a new listener, I want to welcome you to the show. Highway to Health is a place for you to explore and create your own blueprint for health. Having worked in integrative health for nearly 25 years, I'm acutely aware of how all aspects of our lives come to have an effect on our overall state of being. And it's my hope that through the content and conversations you get here, you'll become more engaged and empowered personally and in your communities. So big thanks to everybody who reached out this past week with words of praise about the new website. It was a big undertaking. And I'm excited about the kind of resource that we'll be able to provide and with the ease of navigating on this new site. You can now listen to all the shows from the past six seasons right there on your browser. And uh, while you're there, have a look at the new Highway to Health journal uh, where you'll be able to find informative pieces and inspiring content from some of the most brilliant minds in this growing community of health. And uh, as I mentioned in my season seven preview, I'd like to hear from more of you this year. Maybe you have some content you'd like to share or a guest or topic you'd like to suggest, or maybe it's just the we haven't seen each other in a while or heard from each other in a while. Write me a note on the contact page and let me know what you've been up to. How, how are you staying well through the pandemic? Uh, the website address is highway2.health, and uh, you can also keep up with us on all the socials at Highway to Health Podcast, where you'll also be able to see our faces having this conversation. If you're a regular exerciser or involved in the fitness world, you've most likely heard of foam rolling. Sue Hitzman, my guest for today's show, took foam rolling to a whole other level uh, with creating the MELT method, uh, which has helped tens of thousands of people worldwide stay pain-free. She's an educator, manual therapist, exercise physiologist, and the founder, one of the founding members, I should say, of the Fascial Research Society. She published The Melt Method in 2012 and has appeared on Dr. Oz, Good Morning America, and Nightline, just to name a few, and, and featured in publications like Self, More, and The New York Times. Her latest book is Melt Performance, and that is out now. Uh, it's a much deeper dive into the science of this for all you science junkies behind the, the methods that she continues to develop as a self-care practice and share with the world, and the many benefits um, that are similar to massage and other neuromuscular therapies. Fascia, or connective tissue, that water-based neurochemical superconductive matrix that binds all the tissues of the body together is one of my longest fascinations in health. And we see it in almost all of nature's designs. To understand its abilities is in many ways to understand life itself and the laws of nature and of the universe. I know, I know, it sounds like an obsession, but believe me, after you listen to this conversation, you two will feel like it's worth this level of praise, and hopefully you'll understand the value of taking better care of our fascia in our own bodies. Please enjoy my conversation with Sue Hitzman. 
I'm, I'm glad we finally got a chance to do this. It's been, it's, I, I think, I think you were introduced to me um, by somebody who you were, you were training whose baby I was treating in, in Minneapolis. And I've been doing these trips going back and forth to New York and I kept wanting to, to meet up with you in person, but it just didn't happen. So finally we get to do this. You came up on, on the podcast uh, when I was talking with Eric Dalton. And so, so you were, you were a body worker to, to start out before you started Melt? Oh, yeah, yeah. I actually started out, well, I mean, I was in the fitness industry since I'm 16, teaching oh, fitness right? classes. Yeah, like I was, you know, one of those ones that was a fitness junkie and uh, teaching 28 classes a week, you know, high impact aerobics and calisthenics. That yeah. was like, you know, back in the 90s, oh, that was yeah. everything, you know, but uh, uh, yeah. And then I got into neuromuscular therapy uh, right in the middle of a master's at NYU for anatomy and physiology. And I met Leon Chaitow and got introduced oh, to yeah. this idea of osteopathy. And I was like, what is all of that? And uh, it kind of shifted my way of thinking about traditional movement and, and, uh, and exercise. And there was all these other things they were talking about. And it kind of blew my mind and uh, got into doing you know neuromuscular work where you're really working at the right angle, the right pressure on bodies. Yeah. And that got me into this idea of healing arts. And there was more to the body than just muscles and bones. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, my I, my background also goes into craniosacral therapy. That was, you know, after I went into, you know, body work, I started out very heavy handed and then, mm-hmm. you know, had a had a teacher who was like, you know what, you have a really good sense of how to how to do these very subtle things. And she kind of forced me as soon as I got done with school to go into a, to take an upledger course. That's and, very similar to what happened to me as well as a, a gal was working on me when I had chronic pain and she was talking about the cranial rhythm and I was like, are you doing something with it? She goes, do you know what that is? I was like, yes, the fill and release phase and the movement of the spine. And she was like, can you feel it? I said, sure. She says, what else can you feel? I was like, well, organs have motility and right. there's heart rate and blood flow. She's like, you know, not everybody can feel those things. I think you might be want to go into like some light touch work. You kind of right. have this knack of hands on. Why don't you go over there? And I was like, well, that kind of sounds like hocus pocus, but all right. Yeah. And it really has completely changed everything about how I understand the human body and just the emotional constructs of pain and everything else that light touch therapeutic intervention is really powerful when it comes to um, mitigating pain responses. So yeah. as much as it sounds woo-hoo, it actually works. <laughs> right. And and did you have any of that work done on yourself before getting into the training or? Would- oh yeah. Well, I, it was actually, um, I mean, I had, you know, in my twenties when I was in neuromuscular therapy and I had really kind of t- taken this deep dive uh, into kind of veering out of the traditional confines of anatomy and physiology and realizing, hey, there's a lot more to movement than muscles and bones. This nervous system thing seems kind of important. Uh, so that was, you know, I, that was really where I got a lot of focus was just in how our brain produces movement and what yeah. sensory motor control was. And in my late 20s, I got myself into chronic pain and it started out as foot pain. And at first I thought I stepped on a piece of glass and, uh, you know, it just, it turned into this body wide ache. I was fatigued all the time. I was going to neurologist and getting MRIs and CAT scans and nothing. They were like, you're depressed. And I was like, no kidding. I'm depressed. I'm in pain. I'm a fitness person. Of course I'm depressed, you know, but I wasn't depressed before this. Well, like, what is this? And, uh, I, a friend of mine, 
had told me about cranial psychotherapists, uh, cranial psychotherapy years earlier. And uh, at that time, I, 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 you know, like lots of emotional stuff was going on for me. And he's like, just go, go do some cranial work. And this woman worked on my nose and the next day my foot didn't hurt me. And that was my introduction to cranial psychotherapy. And I was like, what muscle were you on? (laughs) (laughs) uh, I just couldn't wrap my brain around when she said I had a somato-emotional release, Mm. like what that had to do with my foot pain. And at the time, it didn't make any sense. But, you know, you go 20 years down the road from where you were, and it actually makes perfect sense of what was going on in my life and why I had foot pain and how that was associated with my nose. And, you know, it's kind of an amazing thing when you can get with a body worker who just is an interruption to your thought process of why you have the pain problems that you do. Yeah. And, and one of the things, just from reading your your book, I, I haven't, I didn't read the first one, but I've read your your performance book. Oh, good. And um, you know the, the the interesting thing I I think where where we overlap is that, and in, in in many ways, I think I I got into my work, and before that, I was an English major, and I thought I was going to get into teaching, and uh, had a little little detour as a musician for about seven years, <laughs> and then all of a sudden came back around. And got really interested through same similarly. I had started having back problems. I think there was a combination of things emotionally um, going on at, at the same time. Ability to you know stress manage and all those kinds of things too. Lifestyle issues, <laughs> the the whole thing. And you know, I think the the one thing that I got into as soon as I started feeling like I could I could get people out of the the symptomatic response which I, I felt like I really had a knack for like right away. Even when I was in school, you know, in, in clinic yeah. stuff, I was already, I, I basically started my private practice right out of school. Like I knew exactly <laughs> what I wanted to do. And so at that point, I wanted to start giving people more tools and having been an athlete myself, um, I was a basketball player and rower in college and, you know, usually, you know, quite intense about whatever the sport was that I was doing. And, and, and kind of led into music in some ways. I feel like there was something very sort of physical even about, about playing music sometimes. So, I, you know, I, I, I was trying to learn more about how to take care of myself. And that's kind of what led me into, into fitness, too, was I was really looking for just ways to sort of do self-care. And you used a term in your book that I thought was like, I, I thought I was the only one using the term. So I was like, oh, my God, talking about prehab. Yes. Which, you know, a lot of what I started to do with with people was give them things once they got out of the symptomatic response, things that they could do to basically not let themselves go back there again. And it wasn't just about exercising it. And it wasn't wasn't physical therapy per se either. So I had a really hard time kind of coming up with an idea for it. And I started calling it prehab. So that's kind of crazy. It is. Well, you know, and that's just it is like we... We think we're so proactive in our healthcare, and especially when you're in fitness and all this other stuff, you know, you're thinking that's a very proactive approach in healthy living. But really, when it comes to pain, we're reactive. We do things after we've got a problem. We're not even thinking about it until after it is something. And then it's like, hmm, you know, my back's been bugging me for a while. I don't know what that is. Maybe I should like go have that looked at. And, you know, so we're, we're usually behind the eight ball when it comes to the, the preventative care. And, you know, doctors don't practice prevention. They practice cure. You don't go to see a doctor to prevent something. You go to a doctor because you're having a symptom and that's a real 
thing for me and what I call them are pre-pain signals is actually our bodies are equipped to give us a little alerts to, you know, make us react and to let us know something's not right. And half of the time we're getting the signals and we a don't know that that's what they are. We right. don't even know that they're a problem or we're ignoring them or we choose to pop a pill so that we don't feel the thing because it's like, hey, if I can take an Advil and I feel that I got that. That's right. it. You know? right. But that's it is we we do, uh, you know, in the in the performance book, I said I say prepare, perform, restore, repeat. Right. Because in this day and age, I hear that. um uh, recovery is is the new thing in fitness is recovery. I thought, really? Is that new? All yeah. right. I'm really excited about this new word called recovery. But I always think to myself, but what does recovery imply? It replies that something needs to recover, like something's broken that needs to be recovered. And I think, well, if you prepare your body and then you do performance and then you actually spend time restoring your body, you'll spend a whole lot less time in recovery from an injury. Right? Right. So why why are we having to always recover from something when really we could just replete it, just restore some of the, you know, the downslide of what is the real problem in, in athletics is repetition. I mean, repetition truly is a blessing and a curse of right. living, right? It's what makes you good at throwing a ball and gets you really accurate and gets you to be a high performance athlete but it is what creates repetitive stress injuries too. So right. there's a fine line between our athletic performance and actually maintaining an active, healthy lifestyle. And for a lot of athletes, most importantly is to remember that, Hey, you know, if you were a competitive athlete of any kind, don't lose your sport as you get older. Even if you have kids and you have a life and you got a real, a real job, right. you know, you should always at least play your sport recreationally because your nervous system really, it's like a fine tuned machine at that point. So if you suddenly stop doing that, your nervous system is kind of like, Hey, where'd you go? I only know how to swing a bat or a, a you know, a tennis racket. I, I, I don't know how to sit at a computer right. and type for a lot of hours. Like that's not the same thing. Yeah. So that is also, I think a real problem in today's day and age is that a lot of us are just not staying with our, the things that we love to do because real life is in, in the way. Right. And 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 sitting at the computer all day long is its own repetitive thing, right? And so, you know, th that's the one thing I always try to remind people is that you know we're very adaptive. Our nervous systems are very adaptive, and so we you know we can, we can learn things, and our bodies can learn how to do really hard things and and do it over and over again. But when we when we don't engage it, it basically learns that you know too. It learns the postures of that and yes, whatever your repetition is, sitting at a desk all day long or swinging a tennis racket, it doesn't matter. <laughs> right. Whatever you do the most in the day is going to cause the biggest dent in your body's performance. Period. Yeah, and, and so let's, right, right. So so let's let's get into connective tissue because I that's I, like my favorite you know part of this whole thing is that. You know, when we're talking about nervous systems, I mean, you know, and this may, maybe to go back for a second to what you were saying, um, you know, in terms of recovery, in, in terms of like this restorative process that's going on, we're not just muscles, bones, ligaments, and tendons. We're, you know, we're, we're a lot more than that. And we have a lot of different systems that are sort of involved in that whole recovery process. Um, but, you know, on the on the front end of what we can really, I think, 
you know, in, in, engage and also help to help to heal a lot of times is starting at that nervous system level, is starting at balancing that autonom- autonomic response, which does affect all of those systems and, and especially this this fascia. This so, you know, this this is one of the things that I think that people and what, what I kind of picked up from just having hands-on work with with people and, and how much I could accomplish with what small amount of force I, I was using was really helping to free up some of this uh, of this, you know, this patterning that goes on in the whole of of the of the fascial system of this connective tissue system because it it gets very locked in its in its memory whether that's you know a, a trauma an injury something that that really gets off or just bad patterns where we're just you know sedentary and sitting for too long long a period of time yeah i mean i there's you know i always say where when you really look at the human body there are subsystems in our body that are actually reliant upon the one system that most of us have never heard about, don't really know much about. And actually that is the fascial system. And the thing about fascia is we call it a tissue, but it's not a tissue. It's actually a system. It's a neuroelectrochemical system. And our nervous system is inherently linked to the fascial system, the, there's just you know free nerve endings all over the place in yeah, fascia, right. and fascia is a sensory system. It is it, it's taking information in. It is the environment that our nervous system relies on to signal and communicate. And another system that is very reliant on our fascial system is our immune system. Our lymphatic system lives in our fascia. Mm-hmm. So I mean everything lives in fascia, right. but. The, the beauty of connective tissue is that it is a three-dimensional fluid-based matrix, and the collagen in fascia, which is what it's primarily made up of, is like a superconductor. It right. is a neuroelectrochemical system that is – it's a signaling system, and it's constantly in a state of morphing and adapting, but there's also a fluid component of fascia that's so, in, that's so, so critical – that that was the part of it that when I when I started to understand fascia in a different way, it it struck me that the fluid components weren't being talked about enough. Yeah. And there seemed like there was a lot about it that was more critical to understand, uh, especially when it came to immune functions. Yeah. And that was really, you know, because again, anytime you have pain, you you know, 100% of the time your brain's producing it. But what else is going on in the body besides your brain sending a pain signal? Why is it doing that? And, you know, because of technology, you know, we understand the microbiomes better. Like we're more uh-huh. bacteria cells than we are human cells. If that doesn't depress everybody, <laughs> like I'm just bacteria. This is weird. It's hard you know? for like, our egos, right? Yeah, <laughs> Just like, I mean, you literally can't make sense of it. And that's the same thing, you know, with connective tissue is that it's the most abundant material in the body and it's the least researched. And there's still a huge contingency of traditional anatomists that are still trying to argue that fascia is not important. And, and you literally kind of go, my, you know, what is it going to take? There's 
hundreds of research papers. There's a fascial research society. There's, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of articles being written about it. And, and if it weren't important, you wouldn't be complaining about it because the reason that the anatomists who want to hold their traditional anatomy where it is, is because they've spent a lot of money and a lot of time getting really smart about a little myopic component exactly. of the human body. And, and we have a hard time letting that go. And really, I think that if you just allow science to do its job, science isn't here to create hard facts. Science is there to question everything yeah. and to measure everything so that we can make sense of stuff. And, you know, the it's just our, our, our time on the planet is so tiny. You know, the human experience is such a fleeting little blip on the radar that if we could just embrace the fact that our human experience and what we're experiencing goes well beyond our bodies. And the reason it's going well beyond our bodies is actually because of the connective tissue, because of yeah. this vibration, this frequency that we emit to other people and take in information through this vibrational system. It, it gives you a new way. It's like a new paradigm, a new way to think about how aging occurs, how thought occurs, how we perceive our world, right? We, our perceptions yeah. makes our reality, but reality might not be what we think. So that's right. really also confusing. And, you know, that was where when, when I learned about fascia, I had, you know, I, it's not like I didn't know about connective tissue or heard about fascia um, earlier on, but in the late nineties, when I got myself into chronic pain and all of the stuff that I had learned in traditional anatomy and physiology and all the neuromuscular therapy that I had under my belt wasn't fixing my pain problem. Right. And it, when it got diagnosed as plantar fasciitis, I remember that day going plantar fasciitis. <laughs> so I've inflamed fascia. Could inflamed fascia actually be causing me my pain problems? And if that is the case, like there's no exercise for that. Like what, yeah. what, how do you exercise your fascia to get rid of the pain? Right. Yeah. So that sort of sent me down the rabbit hole. And I guess, you know, if anything is just always the way that the universe works is that very year that I got into pain, the Google came up, like the internet had become a thing for the, a, a few years in the nineties. And in the late nineties, when Google came up, you know, you could type in a word, in a search bar and like stuff would come up. And yep. so the very first word I typed in was fascia and about 150 sites came up and most of them were either about airplane propellers or they were about sticks wrapped in twine. And the ones that were about the human body were mostly from the NIH. And I just started to click on each one and was reading the research. And then at the end of the research papers, researchers were still putting their phone numbers and stuff in their research papers. So I was just picking up the phone, calling people in Germany at yep. two o'clock in the morning, being like, what does this exactly mean? And it really veered me out of thinking that muscles and bones were even important at all. Like our bones are important, but not like how we think. There's a vibration in our bones yeah. that is emitting to the fascial net all the way to our skin and our skin is then receiving it back to the bones. And, 
you know, if you want to say, you know, like, you know, you feel something in your bones or you have a gut instinct or, you know, you got butterflies in your stomach, these things are real things. And it is our fascial system that makes it so. And if we took more time to, I guess, just explore the fascial system and how much we can change our brain and our sensory nervous system by just tapping into our body in a more subtle way, I think it would transform people's lives. And so when I set out to write melt, uh, you know, I coined the term melt in 2004 and this was before fascia was fashionable. Like nobody, you know, nobody was getting it. And, you know, it took me six years to realize I had a methodology and I was just basically simulating what I was doing with my hands on my clients and was developing what I was calling hands-off body work. I was teaching people mm. how to become their own body workers yep. and simulate the effects of self-care. And um, it was, I think, probably the, you know, one of the most I- invigorating times of my life was trying to figure out how to explain the process of assessing your body just like a therapist would, treating your body like a therapist, and then reassessing so that you could sense the changes that you were making Mm -hmm. because they were subtle body changes, right? They were alignment changes. They were breath changes. And like, what did that matter? And I'm like, it really matters. Just go home and keep doing it and you'll see. And sure enough, you know, you're watching people transforming their bodies over a succession of minutes, hours, weeks, months, and coming back saying, I'm sleeping better. My emotional state is better. My depression is a little bit less. Mm -hmm. My husband says I'm a nicer wife to him now. And I have more compassion. I'm like, this is great. You know, that's that's the start of it. I know if you think, if you think about, you know, the way information sort of gets held in this, within this system. And, and and you you even mentioned in, in the book, like, let's, let's go all the way back to our embryonic phase you know right yeah. like the, the that that mass of of tissue that the the energy that starts to sort of become produced within that system you know as we're as we're talking about these you know this energy matrix right that's that's basically what we are and i, I mean from different things that i read sometimes you know i people are starting to really rethink about the way that the body sort of develops our, our you know we we get very stuck in this way of thinking the brain is everything the bones are like you know the the solid foundation for the architecture but i think you know what what's starting to become clear is that everything grows into this matrix and perhaps everything is on some level part of connective tissue, right? I mean, it's... Yeah, it's a roadmap. I mean, really, our DNA is using the fascia as a roadmap. It's kind of saying to to the fascia, hey, like I need to put a bunch of cells over here together so that I can make a liver. Can you can you can yeah. you make me a compartment over here and sure enough, you know, unspecialized cells start to compartmentalize in a little capsule and they become liver cells, right? And it's like you know, you when you stop and think about that, that's massive. I mean, and we really are. I mean, how how does the body know to create that many bones so that I got that many fingers <laughs> right. and a hand that's got 33 bones? It's like why do we look this way? I mean, honestly, I I spend a lot of time watching my friends' kids and watching my cat and, you know, just moving my body in weird ways to be like, it is just so amazing yeah. what life is. You know, it's so existential, but 
it's a profound thing to realize that, you know, and I, I'm going to throw this out to people, especially who might have pain, who are listening to this. What if your pain were to the benefit of everybody around you? Because we're all learning something about your pain that we needed to learn, that your pain isn't just about you. It's about everyone around you and the touch point that you have because of these situations happening to us. You know, why does one person get into a car accident or one you know, spouse die? Why does, you know, somebody, I don't know, lose a child, right? It's like these, these tragic things happen to us, but we think it's happening to us when really maybe it's happening for all of us. It's happening for us mm -hmm. so that we can gain that spiritual enlightenment. And, you know, and, and it is the thread that is the communication highway in us that is what forms that DNA channel that makes us human at all and it's it's a blessing that we're here but uh, you know I really honestly think that fascia is a metaphor for all things that connect us and I mean that on a, on, on a real um, you know psychic level on a on a universal level I, I couldn't agree it's more frequency yeah, yeah it's frequency yeah and 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 that was you know that was the thing for me that there was an exercise that I did when I was kind of learning how to do more subtle, subtle work where we, it was, I mean, probably done, you've probably done some experiment like this before, but one, one person had their, had their eyes closed. The other person had their eyes open and there, we were basically pushing against each other, pushing hands, you know, sort of pushing straight forward and you could push or draw. And that was kind of the, the exercise. And from that moment on, as soon as I, as soon as I realized, and, and it was a bunch of, you know, students wandering around in a class, pushing and pulling each other with, you know, some, some half of the class with their eyes closed and realizing like there's a force between all of us here that that's, that's being influenced all the time. And this is, this was, you know, in some ways the beginning of my realizing that that exists. And, and even, even just in the way that I sort of approached people in my, in my work, you know, and Eric and I talked about this a little bit that, you know, the session starts long before they even enter your space and, and, yeah. and that there's, that there's this, there's this sense of like, you know, either from the email exchange or a telephone call or whatever it is, I already, I'm already, you know, having this experience with this person. They've connected with me for whatever reason, and sometimes I don't even know how people get led to me or, or you know, why. But what, whatever the case is, I feel like it's meant for me, and I'm going to yeah, try to figure right. out. That's it. It's right, right. I always say, if anybody's found their way into my studio, they're on the right path for wherever it is they're supposed to go yeah. because there's no by chance in my life ever. I've never had a by chance thing. It, I feel it's all for reasons that are beyond the realm of my mind. And it's, it, it is, it's a, it's an incredible thing when you realize that, yes, I mean, if people are coming to you for a practice or like, you know, Eric for me was such an influence to me in the nineties. And he, you know, he uh, gave me the, the, uh, the forward to my second book and which was really lovely, his, by the way. Yeah, it really, so I mean, nice. I, I, yeah, it really, I mean, and, and you know, and, uh, Gil Headley, who did the forward to the first book, you know, these are people that you meet in your life. And, and those are the type of people that you meet and you realize that your life is about to change forever. And it's like, you know, somebody saying, do you want the blue pill or the red pill, mm -hmm. right? 
you want the blue pill or the red pill? It's yeah. the red pill, so take that red pill. <laughs> and you're, but you know, like it just doesn't matter what you do, you're going down that rabbit hole. You're never going to come back the same. And there's going to be a thousand times in your life where you are going to have moments where you go, Eric Dalton, you know, mm-hmm. Yul Headley. Like it's just, they're going to, it's going to keep filtering through how much you are able to learn because the universe somehow put these people in your field. And so it's not by chance. And it's, um, I, I think that, you know, it's a, it's a big conversation, you know, when people are like, well, what does this have to do with my fitness and my wellness? And I just think to myself, everything, it has everything mm-hmm. to do with it. Uh, you know, sometimes we are the cause of our dysfunctions, not our bodies. Our right. bodies are crying out for our help and we just are ignoring it yeah. or we're beating ourselves up. We're starving ourselves. We're, we're mutilating our bodies. We're torturing ourselves and for what uh you know is because we are not listening to what we feel and we're so taught to desensitize ourselves to not feel i mean i grew up in a household where god forbid you showed an emotion it was like you know quit your crying and nobody wants to hear you and go to your room and you just sit there and scream Mm -hmm. in a pillow not realizing the detriment that caused for me as an adult And until you can really realize that life is just a succession of history repeating itself until you learn what you're here to learn. And when you finally do and you say, thank you, universe, for all that is and for sharing this insight with me, continue to teach me these valuable lessons, but please do it in a loving way so that I may share joy out into the world and suffer less, right? Suffering is a choice that I think most often we don't realize if we just got a little quiet and did things like melt, you know, um, we would really change our lives. Uh, You know, one of the techniques of melt is the hand and foot treatment. And in my teacher trainings, it was, it's the foundation of the methodology was treating your hands and feet. And a lot of people are like, I just want to get to the roller. And it's kind of like, it's like the rest assess, right? In Mel, you evaluate yourself and people are like, can I just fast forward through that and just get to the rolling stuff? (laughs) And I think to myself, your ego is your problem. You know what your problem is? You are the problem. Okay. Your ego is in the way of your transformation. And if you want to sense and feel the world around you, we'll get this. It starts with your hands and feet. So if you want to sense and feel yourself in a different way, sense and feel things in a new way and, and, and so realize t- tell it's us, changing you. Yeah, tell, tell us about that because that's that's really interesting. I, I, know, I know why you do it, um, but... The, but there's something special about about hands and feet uh, in terms of the nervous system that's different than than everywhere else, and that's why you start there, correct? Yes, exactly. Well, and you know, found within our hands, our feet, and our spine are the the majority of the joints in our body. And when it comes to sensory nerves and mechanoreceptors, mechanoreceptors have these areas of our body around our joints where they're in abundance. Mechanoreceptors kind of cluster like satellites around our joints. Right. And your brain doesn't care about muscles. It, it doesn't know about muscles. Gil one time uh, and Julian Baker had said, muscles are fascist, bitch. They're going to do anything that the fascist <laughs> says it should do, right? And I thought that is exactly right. You know, that the, the fascia and how, you know, your joints are, there's no muscle in your joints. Right. Your joints are just fascia. And 
your brain is trying to figure out where those joints are in relationship to the gravitational force mm -hmm. of our earth and our center of gravity. It's trying to figure out where we're at and so that we move efficiently. Yeah. So when you stimulate your hands and your feet, you've got more free nerve endings in your hands and feet in abundance than you do in most areas of your body. Yeah. So if you tap into these areas and there's a technique called position point pressing where you're just just subtly mobilizing one joint at a time it is like sending a message from a satellite back to your brain saying here i am here i am here i am here i am oh yeah. here i am right <laughs> so you're giving the brain that one little touch point and in that comes true transformation it relinks the periphery back to the mind and can then reset everything in the middle of it. Uh, and I, I can honestly say, like, I've never treated a person with back pain that I didn't start by just saying, look, melt your feet. Just melt your feet and let mm -hmm. your brain figure out where your center of gravity is and your back pain will dissipate. And that was the start of the low back pain research study that we did was I was, you know, at that point I had worked on over 10,000 people and they would all fill out a history and consent form and something like 8,000, like 800 of them checked off low back pain as being a common pain mm -hmm. region. Yep. And I just thought, well, I mean, you know, 8,000 out of 10,000, that kind of sounds like a high amount of people having back problems. So I started to devise a protocol to say, what if we could draw new fluid flow to the low back and get the brain to perceive the low back in a different way? Get, and really what it was, was that the brain had a hard time figuring out where the center of gravity is, which is your pelvis. Mm -hmm. And here's the thing, if your feet don't have good reception to the ground because we're in shoes all the time yeah. and you know we're not we're not sensing and feeling the world around us we're becoming very myopic we're looking at a phone all the time we're using our fingers in this way and we're not we're not looking out in the in the horizons anymore and you know we're not out in big fields and so our brain kind of forgets where the center of gravity is and the thing is when the when we're sitting a lot when we stand up, if the brain doesn't have a clear connection to our center of gravity, it alters the center of gravity instead of being in a mass of our pelvis up a notch into a low back space. And the thing is, you can't have a center of gravity in a space. It needs to be in a mass, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's where people have this low back pain problem. And it was a theory that I kind of put out there and created a four-week protocol. And it was a an amazing thing to watch 90% of my clients go from saying, I have back pain to I don't have back pain. And anytime my back feels tight, I go through this protocol, and my back pain disappears. And I'm like, well, that sounds like a winning ticket for yeah. everybody. And that was kind of my claim to fame was helping that many people in a period of time uh, and then finally, you know, getting Tom Finley, who was the founder of the Fascia Research Society, I said, can you help me to do a pilot study? And so we did that with the New Jersey Institute of Technology mm -hmm. to see if we could, you know, just measure it. Can you measure it? And what was profound with fascia in the research study was that the there's a tissue thickness in the lumbar spine when you have low back pain where one side of the spine tends to be thicker than the other. And I speculated that that when I would palpate it, that was really a key factor of people's back pain was that the motor timing was delayed because there was fascial thickening mm -hmm. on one side of the spine. So after four weeks of melting, we went back and measured that zone 
And what was interesting was not only did the fascial thickness decrease, the side that was thicker decreased more than the side that was less thick overall. And Tom was fascinated with that because he said, you know, what's interesting is that you never touch the low back. And so you really are demonstrating the intelligence of fascia that if you direct the fluid flow in the way that you're saying you're doing it, it is altering the fine balance of the spaces so that they're more cohesive, so that they're more balanced from left to right. Yeah. And so that's a that to me is I think an important part about fascia is that it is an intelligent tissue. It's not an inactive packing material. It's doing something for us. And one of the biggest things it is is again a, it is a neuroelectrochemical system. It's a transportation highway for nutrients, for cell signaling, for cell proliferation, for nutrient absorption. It, it's where it's at. So, yeah. you know, we, we all need to know more about it. And I think the nice thing about the Melt book is just that it simplified it for the general public so that my mom could understand it. And right. I thought that was really important was just to get the lay person to understand their bodies and the critical elements that you're just never going to learn about unless somebody can simplify science. And that's the problem with science. It's comp neurofascial science is not exactly, you know, light weekend reading it takes right, but a lot of time I, I think there there is something that is that is so incredibly simple about this this idea that you know if if we are this this mass that is sort of reacting to our environments that's reacting to you know the the daily stresses that's that that is storing information from our our experiences all the way back and even before I mean this is one of the things that I always find interesting from working with babies and, um, you know, it's, it's the thing I've become most known for, oddly enough, because I just happened to be like in the Mecca of, of where all the babies were being born at a, at, a, at a certain point in time in Brooklyn, <laughs> where it was like, that's where everyone was coming to have, to have babies. It, all, it was also sort of the, I think, at a very specific time period where um, nursing, breastfeeding was becoming a, a bigger thing. So mothers wanted to do that. They wanted to have the experience. They also wanted to, you know, home births were starting to become a, a big thing. So, you know, the, the, the more interesting part of this though, is that babies would have a very different experience than the mothers would oftentimes in that you would think that if they were, if they were having this water birth at home in, you know, in the, in the bedroom or whatever, wherever they have this, you know, set up, that that the the mom had this amazing experience because she got to have the baby at home with her husband there and a doula and someone giving massages and all these things. Baby had a totally different experience. Not to say that those weren't poten potentially like helpful for the baby's experience, but we also come into the world with different information. You know, I mean, and that's and that's one of those things that I, that was always sort of surprising to me was that I was kind of. I felt like my role from the beginning with with babies was really just to kind of like help create that space, help create that safety of what it's like to be in the world right now with these, you know, giant, you know, warm hands of yeah, mine. Just, well, just just try to try to with with the understanding that I have to try to help them find, you know, sort of a comfort. And it and it's and you could just watch these, you know, uncomfortable babies. Sometimes they were coming to me because they had digestive issues or they were struggling yeah. to, to latch. Well, you're you're unwinding them from their mothers 
you know, perceptions of them. And I think that's a big thing to remember. I mean, honestly, like a lot of the babies that I worked on, I was like, forget the baby. You got to work on the mom. You're so stressed out over being a good mother. And, you know, what happened to you as a kid? And why, why are you putting all this fear on your child? Or, you know, it, and so you put the baby on the mom and you're treating the mom to, in, in many ways, separate the mother's energy from the baby first to unlatch them a little bit and then to let the baby go through a process of unwinding themselves from the story that the mother had created and the father had created for them. And, and that's where babies with colic or babies with the digestive issues, babies that weren't sleeping, suddenly my client would call and they'd be like, um, I'm a little worried my child is still sleeping and it's been 14 hours. Should I wake her up? And I'm like, I wouldn't. I let her sleep until she wakes up. Mm-hmm. Why are you getting an inter- why are you continuously having to be the interruption of right. your child's process? Right. <laughs> right. Just let her sleep until she wants to wake up, okay? Yeah. But that's it is is if we can un unthread it a little bit, you I think I think it's a beautiful thing because you're giving a child an opportunity to be autonomous in a world where it's very difficult. I think in this day and age, there's a lot of judgment with parents. You know, I remember my, when my sister-in-law had her kids and my mom wanted to insert her parenting, you know, and my sister-in-law would get angry. She's like, you didn't grow up, you know, like you're not raising a kid in today's day and age. And I think to myself, thank you. God, too, because my mother would have lost her mind by now. (laughs) So, you know, it was easier when we were kids. You know, you just the whole world was different, I think. And, um, you know, what are big issues right now? I think that we we put the we put the trauma to our kids. And sometimes we're blaming ourselves for how our kids are turning out. But maybe we should just let it be that the kids are being who they are in the environment that we're offering. We aren't doing it to them. We're doing as much as we can for them, but really just allowing the reality that, you know, a, a spirit is occupying a body to have a human experience, to have spiritual enlightenment. And you're, you know, who you are, you, you can play the role of a victim all you want, but if you can just destroy that, idea and just uncreate it and start over. You know, I think that that's an important opportunity for people to realize that your connective tissue, I mean, how you said, like it stores memory. And I always say, yeah, but like prove, science will say, well, prove that. And it's like, I don't, I don't even think I need to, like you can see in a person's form, their trauma and their history. Uh, Emotional trauma is sometimes a dead giveaway because of how a person stands. I mean, I can, you know, people are like, are you psychic? And I said, no, your tissue is telling Uh, everything about your life. And, uh, you know, when you can peg somebody down to uh, how many siblings they had and the trauma that their mother must have lost a brother when she was younger. And they're like, how is that even possible that you are saying these things? And we met five minutes ago and this is, there's nothing about this on the history and consent form. And it's that your fascia can literally all the way down to your DNA. It, it 
alters your DNA, not just your DNA, but the DNA of your offspring. So how we care for our fascia, I think is also very inherently linked to how our, again, our immune health, our DNA health over our lifetime, our aging process, and that of our offspring is, is critical in caring for it. Uh, you know, and really, if you think about it, you know, a hundred years ago, people were living till they were 40 and that was old years, right? Mm -hmm. You know, now we're trying to live into our hundreds and are our bodies designed to live 100 years? Maybe, you know, um, with care, <laughs> with care. Exactly. If we care for it, it could take that. It could live that long. But if, if enough of our offspring care enough for our fascia long enough, I think more people will live into their well into their hundreds, 110, 120. And, and it's actually because of what we're doing now to care for our fascia for the offspring for many years to come so that people who are 20, if their parents and their grandparents were caring for their connective tissue, they're the ones that are going to live far longer. And, you know, when it comes to cancer research, um, you know, fascia and cancer, right? Cancer loves to live in stiff fascia. Mm -hmm. So if we want to, you know, keep our potential of metastasis at bay, I think that learning how to keep our fascia moving and supple is a key component of all health-related issues. Um, you know, and I'm not saying, well, you know, anybody who melts is like, you're never going to get cancer. Like it's just, you know, right. <laughs> it's not right. a, it's not right. cure. It's the others. It's not a religion. Right. But I do think that's why movement is so critical. I think that's why touch is so critical. Love is critical. Hugs are critical um, to our, just our longevity and our overall well being. And we know that with, with infants, right. Infants that aren't touched don't thrive. So right. How, how is that any different when you're an adult, if you don't get a hug, if somebody doesn't tell you how much they love them? And and a lot of times at the end of a, a lot of the talks I do on social, I'll always say, you know, sip water frequently, eat water-filled foods, and go tell at least three people today. Just call people randomly and just do an act of kindness and say, I love you and I'm thinking about you because you just don't realize how much that could impact that one person. But it's also when you emit that energy out to the world, everybody. It's, it's, a, it's a kind of flow, right? I mean, and that's the interesting thing about, and I've, I've thought about this a lot just in terms of all of the systems of the body, but, you know, we, we talk about love flowing. We talk, we, you know, we talk about, you know, we use these kinds of terms as, as it relates to our, our emotional, you know, state as well. But right. I, 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 yeah, exactly. Um, and, and also we talk about flow in terms of like being in that zone, you know, and, and I think that zone is really where we function at our, at our highest potential. And, yes. and, and that, that, you know, fascia in a lot of ways is 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 a, is a mirror of both our internal and external kind of environments. That's it. Absolutely. That is it. It's a you know how we feel on the inside is going to make you look a particular way on the outside. I I just know that from your skin, you know, uh, you can tell when somebody is thriving in life or if somebody's just flat out exhausted, their hair is dry all the time, their skin looks sallow, their posture doesn't look so awesome. Uh, you know, and I, I think, you know, it's said a lot that you just don't know what's going on in, with another person, uh, you know, but a lot of times just people are angry and frustrated and sad and 
their behavior, you can take it personal when they, you know, you know, do those weird sounds right, at you when right. you're standing in line because you got too close to them and you're like, did you just tits me? You know, like, what is that? You know, you just want to <laughs> yell at them. But if you realize that that's just a sorry, sad person, and my gosh, that person probably just hasn't had a hug in a long while. Uh, you know, what would it be like if you said something like that to them? You know, like, do you need a hug? Yeah. You know, and you'd be surprised the what people say. I mean, I've had people get sharp in a store and just be like, honey, do you need a hug? What happened today? And just, <laughs> they don't know what to do. You know, they kind of like freeze and they're like, you know, did she just talk to me and ask me if I needed a hug? But you see two seconds later, a little smile on their face because they know that's actually the truth. They need a hug. Yeah. Yeah. I ag agreed. And, and I, th I think what we, what we know just from, from working with people the way that we do so sort of intimately is that we can, we can see in a person's posture when they walk in the door, we can tell by the creases in their, in their forehead, or we can see, you know, we can see the narrowness of their eyes that they're not able to be sort of open. And, you know, those, those kinds of things, I think we could all learn a lot from, we, we could also, you know, use that to, to pay attention to what's going on with ourselves. And I think having a practice, I mean, MELT is, is one of those things. I'm sure you had other practices before you started MELT that, that created different kinds of things as well. But we, we need somehow to, you know, in, in a generous, kind sort of way, engage our body in a way that's not punishing it. I, mean, I think the, the problem that I found in the, in the fitness industry was it was basically all about, you know, adding load to an already overloaded system. You know, it just didn't, it, none, of, none of it made any sense to me, especially with, you know, coming from, you know, back issues. And I started thinking a lot more about how do things flow in the system. I started, I always start with mobility work with people because, you know, it, it's not hard to strengthen a muscle. I don't know why we get so sort of caught up in, in you know, and is add, that, adding is, load. Is that really what we need? I mean, I always say, if you have dysfunctional patterns and you load a dysfunctional body, I remember hearing a couple of the really smart guys who are still very well known in fitness say, just load the body and the body will, the body's designed to figure out what to do. And I'm like, no, like, you know, putting an unstable body on like a BOSU ball and giving them a bunch of weights, <laughs> you know, you take an unstable body on an unstable surface, it doesn't make you stable. You know yeah. what you become is a stronger, more dysfunctional body. You yeah. actually get better at managing your dysfunctions yeah. rather than ever improving them or, or eliminating them. You just get better at managing them until you can't. And you know, honestly, look, nobody ever complains about getting a hamstring replacement as you get older, but lots of people get hip and knee replacements, right? right? So our joints are the spaces of our body. Nobody complains about getting taller as we age. We lose space on every level, psychically, yeah. emotionally, physically. We lose space when we don't have our expression, our you know, our movement, our reach to experience the world around us. And when your body hurts, you know, your world gets really small. You, you, it's like, you know, I can't do this anymore. I can't do that anymore. I can't do this. I can't do that. Until after a while, you're not doing anything but sitting around complaining about all the things you used to do. Yeah. And like, nobody likes to hear about the history of your awesome life that isn't anymore most of the time I'm like, well, how's that working for you? Right. You know, I, I mean, have you thought about maybe doing something else? And you know what? Honestly, I think a lot of people like to hold on to their pain problems. They're actually like, oh, no, I can't, you know, do yeah. that. Nothing's going to help me. And I'm like, wow, it almost sounds like you're 
trying to give yourself like a reason to stay in pain so that you can't do stuff. I've had clients come in and say, well, I actually can't get better until my lawsuit comes through because, you know, it was, uh, you know, I got hurt at work. And Uh I'm just like, why don't we just lie to everybody and tell them that you're still in pain, but get you better anyway? You know, like, what? My gosh, you know, so we, uh, the way we perceive, again, the world is what creates our reality. So if we can perceive our lives differently, if we can perceive our pain problems differently, if we can come back to the present moment, you know, and, and not ruminate, right? Most of us are living in the past where we're living five minutes ahead, but we're actually not present at all in what's happening right now. And when you hear, like, this is one of my skills as a therapist is, you know, listening to somebody tell me about their problems and this and that, and they'll go on and on and on and tell me about, you know, what, you know, somebody did this to them in the past and all this. And I'll say, so what's your problem right now? Yeah. And they're like, well, I don't really have a problem right now. But and I'm like, no, 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 just stay right there. Don't go into the butt yet. Yeah. Let's just stay in the place where you don't have any problems. Let's work from there and we'll work ourselves out of there. But if you just stay for two seconds in this place where you say one more time, do you have a problem right now? No, you don't. Right there. That's a great place to stay there for a while. Isn't that nice to be in a place where you don't have any problems? And they're like, I haven't really thought about it. I'm like, welcome back to the present moment where there's no problems. Right? So this is a beautiful thing. And again, I think that, uh, you know, much like you're saying in fitness, we were so hell bent on constantly being in a state of work. But if we, at the end of the day, just kind of took inventory of what our day did to us, we just lie on our back and do a body scan and sense our bodies in a new way and then give back to our body a little bit of frequency, a little bit of energy, a little bit of touch. And then we go to sleep. You're going to sleep more soundly. You'll get a more restful night's sleep. It means you're going to wake up feeling like a better person and you'll have more energy for the next day. And what a, what a great thing to learn to do to yourself is to give back to yourself after you've given everything that you can yeah. to be a better you in the first place. Why not give a little bit back? You yeah. know, exercise, that's not really what exercise is. I yeah. think it's the pretend thing that it's giving anything right, right. to us. It's exhausting us. So is is there anything that's like right now in, in, in during the pandemic, I know you and I both lived in New York during 9-11 and, mm-hmm. you know, treated people through that time period and a recovery period, which I felt like lasted for quite a while because oh, yeah. I was treating was first responders, probably you, you were too. And, and, and even the impact, I mean, clearly the impact it was having on me and, and I worked, I worked six blocks from the, from the tower. So that was like majorly impactful, but I was also then dealing with like the impact of what I felt like, you know, the, the things that we end up wanting to try to help with these people who have, who've been through trauma. There's another aspect of that, but I feel like there's something about what's been going on this past year with the pandemic. That's, that feels very similar to me. Are are you feeling that too? Yeah. And I mean, you know, that was 9-11 was really the turning point for my practice because I had been working on all these high performance athletes for about eight years. And then 9-11 happened. And suddenly you had this rude awakening of post-traumatic stress and all of the world changing, you know, the the whole world, the whole vibration of everything changed and people didn't know what to do with that. And here in New York City, you know, I mean, I've been here this entire, you know, time and really experiencing my city where the frequency, the vibration here is 
very different and I'm a vibration person and I go out and I, you know, go into Central Park and just hug a tree every day just to check in on my, on my girls, you know, making sure all these trees are all right. You guys are okay. And, uh, you know, and, and um, I think that people don't realize how much this is going to impact, especially the, the young kids of today, how that's this, this whole experience is in so many ways, even more frightening and more long lasting and more impactful than nine 11 could ever be because it, it's putting people into questioning, connecting to anyone, right? You know, everybody's wearing a mask. Um, you know, people were wearing hoodies and masks into stores with dark glasses. I think to myself, you could never do that a year ago. You think you were being, you're holding up the bank. And now everybody looks like a criminal walking into the Chase Bank on the corner. You know, right. It's like, this is weird. Yeah. So I think, um, I think that we really need to find community and connection. And I think the blessing for me, at least as a practitioner, is I ha have a community of thousands of practitioners who teach MELT and we do, we moved all of our trainings online and being able to teach online as much as it, you know, I think a lot of people were maybe a little resistant to that, yeah, but I had yeah. been teaching online. Like I have a, an app and everything for three, three and a half years before this has all happened. So I was kind of used to teaching people online, but um, you know, nothing is ever going to replace real connection in a live setting. And I just wonder, are we going to come back to a place where we will regain the trust of everyone? Uh, will this vaccine help enough people where we can, you know, go to a football game again and scream yeah. our faces off side by side another person and not be like, don't yell because I don't want your cooties, you know? Right. So right. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting thing. Like, will we always wear masks now out in public? Is Will there ever be a point where, you know, you can go out for a run and not wear a mask? I, I just, there was a point when I thought, oh yeah, no, this is, it'll, it'll pass. And, we'll go back to not wearing masks. But the more I think about it, you know, when you look at other countries like China, they've been wearing masks for years, yeah. all the time people wear masks. So I, I don't know, but I, I think it is changing our culture. And I think that if we don't uh, really honor how frequency and connection and, and touch really matters, I think that it is gonna impact younger kids um, I, I see a lot of emotional and a lot of psychological disorders really spiking. Um, yeah. There's a lot of depression going on out there. Uh, there's a lot of drug use. There's a lot of alcoholism. It's just surging. And some of that is on a psychic level is, you know, again, when people are in pain, whether it's physical pain or emotional pain, they either want to tune it out or just deafen it down. And yeah. Really, if you are in pain of any sort, emotional, physical, psychic, you've got to go into your body more. You actually, it's the opposite. We need to learn to come into ourselves in a new way and to touch ourselves. And I mean that on every level, you yeah. know, we should touch ourselves more. Um, it would be, I think everybody would be a nicer person if self-touch and self-love was more, um, uh, it was something that we were teaching kids right you know self-soothing is a is a thing that 
you know, parenting is part of parenting is yeah. letting your kid kind of cry it out or let, let themselves soothe themselves. I think that that's important that we know how to do that and that we kind of are trained into that. But I think also knowing that touch and love is there, even when we are self-soothing is I think an important part of just connecting it to yeah. everyone. And, and and I also think that we can connect in, in lots of different ways. I mean, one of the things that's been surprising to me, treating babies with a, with a N95 on, <laughs> is that mm-hmm. I get smiles still mm-hmm. when you when you when you think they're not going to they're not going to connect with me. I can smile with my eyes. Right. And and it also just tells you too like how much intention and how much we going back to what we were talking about earlier, how much we actually you know, with within the, within these spaces where we are, you know, close to each other, how much vibration, how much energy is still being transmitted? So, to be to be optimistic, and you know, I have, I have two kids. One of them is about to go to college. The other one is almost ten. So it's a it's a very different kind of age dynamic. But in some ways, I feel like they're both doing better than we are as parents. <laughs> and 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 I would say the same thing with with a lot of the people that I'm treating. And in some ways, I think. There's there's certainly a, becoming a, a huge need, and one of the, my concerns was that I'm I'm out of a career. I mean, I had to stop working for a period of time, and kind of rethink what I want, how, the way I wanted to do things. But once I felt like it was safe enough for me to work with a mask again, at the minute that I said, and, and I, even before I started reaching out to people, I just started getting referrals from all over the place. In August, all of a sudden, I was just like full on busy. So there's mm-hmm. something there's you know b- back to what we were saying I think there's something about putting that out there that you know we can we can still find find these ways to connect at, at this moment where things seem you know very you know like the, like this might be the, the way that things are and we we don't know what the future is so let's not get there let's not get too carried away with ourselves yet yeah you know? don't don't look too far <laughs> in the future like I say you know always just try to come back to the present moment because nothing happens in the past. And actually nothing happens in the future. Everything just happens right now. We can perceive a future that will never become anything uh, just just because we think it won't make it so. Right. So really, if you spend a little bit more time really nurturing what's going on with you right now, I think that you are ensuring a better tomorrow. And I think that that, again, is where self-care really is the best health care yeah. is uh, it goes a long way with your mental health uh, clarity. And I think that that's really important that people realize that your mental well-being um, is very impacted through the fascial system too. It's yeah. not just your physical body, but your emotional body, your your psychic body, yeah. uh, your mental body is very um, reliant on fascia. So touch yourself. Yeah. Touch. Well, thanks so much, Sue. I, I really appreciate you spending time with us to do this because I, I, I it's, it's that time of year right now where I, I see people sort of hungry for this kind of information. And I do think that, you know, melt is such a great, simple way of, of taking care of yourself and of, you know, of, of nurturing yourself. It's, it's, you know, I think, I think people have a little bit of experience oftentimes with with foam rolling or with something like that, but to to understand that there can be a whole system 
of, of ways to take care of yourself. And, and starting with hands and feet, you know, if, if anyone has hand, hands or, or, or feet issues, you know how impactful that is to your whole life. So it's, I, I'm so glad that you kind of start from there and that that's your system. And you did a great job, I think, of sort of, I love the little diagrams that you show on the hands, you know, sort of the patterns that you can kind of roll in and how to, how to sort of manipulate and free stuff up. It's very simple. I'll, I'll put some links up for, for your stuff, for your book. I know you've got videos out there, <laughs> plenty to plenty yeah. for people to kind of dig into, and maybe yeah. you know maybe at some point we'll 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 uh, meet up here again and, and get into something. I feel like we scratched the surface today, but we can we can maybe get into something very specific that we kind of maybe see coming up over and over again in our practices, and that we know you know some some very kind of uh, simple ways or or something that's more actionable that we can that we can do to kind of get you know something back on track when it when it gets off. I think that might be another another fun one for us. And, I'd love to. Absolutely. And maybe in person, you know. Yes, I cannot <laughs> believe you were coming to New York 10 times a year and we're sitting here talking through a, I know. Through a screen. This is not fair. I know. Next time, though, soon enough, we'll come back together for All sure. Right. That sounds good, Sue. All right. Thanks so much. Be well. Thank you. Sue Hitzman, folks. The reason I keep coming back to fascia on the podcast is because I believe that understanding the function of this connective tissue matrix is to understand our human experience, how it stores and transmits information, helps us process our environment, and ultimately connects not just all the tissues of the body, but energetically connects us to the planet and to each other. Back in 1997, when I first began to study it, I knew there was something significant about it, but I was still a skeptic. I was struggling with this notion of energy as something new agey and intangible. It didn't take long though for it to become something that I was physically able to feel and work with. And to be able to work with it helped me to give people different ways to care for themselves. Sue's ability to create a model to help people heal themselves and stay pain-free is a real gift. I encourage you to check out meltmethod.com for more resource. And you can also go to highway2.health to learn more about Sue and the offerings at Melt. Let me know what you thought of this topic in conversation. You can get in touch with me at any time at jeremy at highway2.health. Thanks for listening and for all that you do. Be good to yourself, be kind to each other, and take care of your planet. Be well, my friends. If you enjoy podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Medicine in America, hosted by Anthony Manson and Todd Harrington, shares the stories of physicians, other healthcare professionals, and industry leaders who are changing the way we deliver care. There's an episode that you should check out called Primary Care Reimagined with Subscription-Based Preventative Care Model. It's an inspiring call for a paradigm shift in primary care. All of their episodes highlight innovative ideas at the forefront of the movement to transform our healthcare system. Check out Medicine in America on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.